I'm glad to have you here. Thanks for coming and braving it out. Church in a gym, it's a little bit different, you know, and it takes a lot of courage to kind of step into something that you don't know what's going on and you don't know how it's going to go and if people are going to notice you, can you slip in, can you slip out, how many people are you going to have to talk to, things like that. And so thanks for making the, the try to come in and hang out with us. We, uh, we're part two through a three-part series. Um, gospel being the first one, which is what we did last week. It's online. Community being today. And then mission being next week. And I'm real excited about this because these are the three legs to our stool. Okay, this is really who we are as a church. You're not going to find anything that we do as a church that is not connected to one or not all of these things, really. I guess is how I should say it. And so, I want to talk about community today. Turn, turn in your Bibles to Acts 2. 42. If you don't have a Bible um, and you want one, we've got some by the front door. Grab one on your way out and you own it. We're, those are for free. Um, and if you don't want to get up right now, I totally understand. We'll have them up on the screen for you up here. And, you know, as you're turning there, I was, think, I was thinking about whenever I was a young man and it was my very, very first time to be in a family community setting. I'd never been in what people would call a gospel community before or a missional community. You put whatever words you want. I'd never even been to one before. I mean, all I've been in is like youth groups and college groups. I'd never been in a community environment with anyone older than 21. (laughs) Okay? So I showed up to my first one and it was in our first church plant and I went with Paula before she was my wife. I don't even think we were dating then. I think about it. And so we walk in, and it's put on by this guy and his wife, real sweet couple. But we got there a little bit early, and they got into it. They got into this nasty fight, man, right there in the kitchen. It was just tense, I mean, to say the least. All I remember, I don't even know what it was about. I just remember coming out of his mouth, looking at his wife, saying, we're about to get in a fight, and I'm not going to lose. And whenever I heard that, I was like, I shouldn't be here. And I think I said that, I shouldn't be here. And they said, no, Luke, you're fine. Stay here. And I'm thinking, no, I really don't want to be here. You know, there's too much drama. It's uncomfortable. There's tension in the air. And my personality hates any kind of tension around me, you know. And so we go from that. We go and sit down in the living room. I'm sitting on a chair. Paula's to my right. And we're just hanging out. We're just friends. And right in the middle of this guy kind of bringing a Bible study, I guess. I I don't even remember what it was about. Because all I remember is this guy to my left starting the ball. I mean, it wasn't like, it was like on stewardship or something. It wasn't, the, the Bible study wasn't on anything that should make anyone cry, you know. But this guy was losing it. And then he starts to sob. And then he gets uncontrollable. And the thing is, is no one said anything. Everyone just ignored it. So I'm thinking, okay, one of two things is going on right now. Either everyone is heartless, and this poor guy needs to go outside. I mean, no one's even putting an arm around him, you know? I mean, he needs a Kleenex. He needs someone to counsel him. I don't know. He's coming apart. That's all I know. And it's distracting. I'm not even hearing what this dude is saying. So either that's happening, or this guy does it all the time so much that everyone just blows it off. You know what I'm saying? He's one of those dudes happened to be that he was one of those dudes. You know, he cries every Bible study. He's sobbing every Bible study. So everyone just learned to ignore him, you know? And I'm thinking, this is getting crazier. This is drama, you know? Come to find out right after that, this, I called him the crybaby for a bunch of years. I probably shouldn't say that. But what I, what I called the crybaby had a crush on my to-be wife. 
you know? And I thought, are you kidding me? I mean, that guy, her, it's never going to happen for one thing. You know what I'm saying? And I wasn't even chasing after her at the time, but I just knew that was never going to happen. So someone's heart was going to get broke. And so there's all this drama and turbulence, and it was just weird, and I sat down, and it was awkward. And that was my first experience in the community. So, into that, I want to read this, just so you have that in the back of your mind. Acts 2.42, it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging, and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. It's a far way away from what I just described to you as my first experience, though, isn't it? I mean, doesn't it at least seem like that? I mean, you read that and you think, man, that's just the golden standard. And it, and it comes across that way, I mean, our whole lives. And he, There's so many books been written on how to do church. You have sticky church, you have organic church, you have simple church, you have true church, you have purpose-driven church. In any book, any book that you ever read on how people think church should be done, whenever it comes to community, they flop that verse up there. That's the cornerstone verse for them. Now, they all might have different interpretations of it, but that's always been seen as the golden standard, the pure church. The innocent church. And the truth is, is that was the church's most innocent stage. Because that was right after things started ripping, right? I mean, this is Luke. Luke is the one that wrote Acts, is chapter 2, virtually, of the book of Luke. So if you put Luke and Acts together, it's a historical chronologue of the birth of Jesus, life of Jesus, death of Jesus, resurrection of Jesus, ascension of Jesus, the beginning of the church, the persecution of the church, and the spreading of the church. It all happens on a timeline, right? And so... As that happens, we're catching the church when it is brand new, wrapped in plastic, never been tested, never come off the tracks, never had any drama yet. It's new. But it just feels like if we can get back to this place, this Acts 2.42 place, if we could just get back to where they were, then all the problems go away. If we could just reassemble it, then and only then we will be pure. Then, and it seems like if anything else comes short of what we just read up there in Acts 2.42, then it's just deficient. It doesn't work. I mean, whenever I think about the situation I just told you guys about, I'm thinking, man, that is not Acts 2.42. It's just not. I mean, we have weeping and heartbreak and fights and uncomfortableness and awkwardness and disconnected. I don't even remember what it was about. And I should because it was my very first one. But it just seems like if we could get back there, if we could just fix it, then all the magic comes back. And we get that original first century feel, you know. This is what's called a reconstructionist idea. That if we could just reassemble something ancient according to spec, then everything else just falls into place. Right? So you start talking about weird things like, when do you have communion? Do you have it before the common meal or after the common meal? And... I mean, we don't have temples anymore, so what's the closest thing we should have to a temple? We've got to find that. We've got to stick it in there. We've got to fit it in there. And what about selling all our stuff, right? I mean, how many of y'all have not asked that question? So are we supposed to, like, sell all our stuff? Like, and just, what? 
I mean, like what? Like, except for like one pair of clothes? I mean, what do we do? It just seems like if we can just get back there, community works. I want to talk about that a little bit. I think this ignores this reconstructionist view that sometimes can be our view. I think it ignores that that scripture was written for a certain time, for a certain place, by a certain person, certain recipient, certain mood, certain provocation to even write. Everything was very particular, right? It's up to us as missionary theologians to, to, to really find the meaning of this so that we can apply it today. That's our job. That's our job. And I know the first time someone says theologian or missionary, I think, man, I'm not such a, maybe, maybe not me. Especially when I was a lot younger, I thought, I'm not a theologian. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a missionary. The truth is, is if you're a son or a daughter of the king, you are a missionary. And everyone's a theologian. It's just the study of God, our understanding of who God is. You might be a very bad theologian, but everyone is a theologian. If you're a son or a daughter of the king, you might be a bad missionary. But make no mistake, you're an alien in this place. You are a missionary. You're in a culture that doesn't belong to you anymore. And so we have these things that are upon us to look into the scripture and say, what is the thing? What is the factor? Not only what does this say, but why was it written? Why? Because, I mean, the deal is, is it's a description that's not a prescription for how we live today. It's a description of how things were done back then. But still, I mean, all Scripture is useful. So what are we supposed to get out of it? I mean, why was it written? I'll tell you that it, it has a meaning for us today. But hear me when I say it comes with very, very big difficulties. A lot of sloppiness. Because what looks so pure... And what looked so golden and innocent, it eventually started to get, not eventually, let me just say quickly, started to get some very big problems in it. Some sloppiness, some awkward moments, some crises. It found it. We don't like to talk about that very much because it feels like it kind of discredits it. It kind of puts a sully on it a little bit. And we have a tendency to see things with our eyes that seem like they're a little sloppy. We try to see them as imperfect or deficient. Or if something's a little outside the lines, we see it as kind of awkward and not optimal. I mean, that's why it's hard for me to appreciate some art, you know? Because I'm more of an engineering kind of a brain. My kids will bring me some artwork. And listen, I love my kids, okay? I'm a big, I love my kids, but they'll bring me some artwork. And I'm just going to, I mean, the crayon's outside the lines. I'm not going to lie. It's all over the place. And I love my kids, and I want to say, hey, that's real pretty, but in my mind, I'm thinking, but man, if you could just kind of, mm, with that one thing, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it'd look better if that one thing was just kind of a little bit to this way. And why does it have to be that green? It's not really that green. You know, it's hard for me to see something that is very sloppy and visceral and gritty and say, that's beautiful. And we can do that with church sometime. We can definitely do that with community sometime. We can look at a community that looks sloppy and gritty and a little too awkward and a little too drama and say, this is deficient. And it might be, but it might be perfect too. It might be perfect. It might be very gospel heavy in that moment. This church community right here, the same one in Jerusalem, it got to where it started neglecting needy people in its own midst because of racism. Racism. This early in the church. Go ahead and put it up in Acts 6. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, it's fine. It'll be up here. 
Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So racism was giving preferential treatment. So imagine Jack giving out munitions, food, clothing, whatever. Widow, widow, not this one, widow, widow. And then someone says, hey Jack, why didn't you give widow number three her food? Well, she's Greek. I don't know if you noticed that. She's Greek. Well, yeah, but she's a widow. She's one of God's daughters. Yeah, I know, but she's Greek. And if we're going to give out, we only have so much. I mean, that's how weird it got. It got to where there was racism even in their own midst. Because one was Jewish, one was not. Right? They even had administrative disorder. Because now you've got Peter waiting tables. There was a brief moment where someone would come up and say, Peter, what are you doing? Well, someone's got to fix this. We've got racism going on. We've got something going on to where the Hellenists aren't getting any food. The Greeks aren't getting any food, just the Jews. And this is jacked up. That's not what we came to do. Well, I know, Peter, but you've got to preach tonight. You've got a big sermon. You've got like 4,000 that are going to be there. You shouldn't be doing this. I mean, can you imagine how awkward, how weird the administrative problems? As an administrator, I'm administratively minded. It's total failure right there. It needs a big tune-up. But with all this sloppiness, with all this crud, all this dirt, a leadership, really our first leadership program that you could ever see in the Bible has come to the top. The selecting of what we kind of now think are deacons. All right, Find seven men full of the Holy Spirit, full of truth, good reputation, on and on and on and on. They're going to be the ones that do this. They're going to be the ones that serve the church. It doesn't ever say the word deacon in there. Current scholars think that's kind of where we get it. The word deacon, diakonos, it just means to serve. It just means to love the church, to serve the church. So out of this weird junk, sludge, communal sludge, I guess you can say, out of it comes a very beautiful way of recognizing and putting people in positions where they can serve the church. I love that. The same church community that we're talking about, this pure and innocent and golden one, it also had people to where they were lying about how much money they were giving in order to be more popular. They were lying about it. Now that's kind of jacked up too, I'm just saying. Acts 5.1. There's a reason I'm doing all this, I'll tell you in a minute. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said... Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, didn't it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Now, I will say that with this lying and this deceit that's going on, people had the right to do. We see Peter saying it right here. People had the right to do whatever they wanted with their own wealth. 
That is why this is not communism, okay? Sometimes we look at this and we go, well, that's just communism and socialism. Everyone sells their stuff and gives it to the, the head dudes and they decide who gets what. Well, that is communism. But this is voluntary. This is, you get to do what you want. It's yours. You give according to your means, your faith, your sense of sacrifice, your sense of joy, your sense of consistency. These are the same reasons we give today. The same things we give today. We don't just pull it all together. Because if we did, because I've heard this said before. I've heard this said before. I don't know if you have or not. But if we just did that, Luke, Pastor Luke, if we just sold all our stuff and put it in one big pot, then everyone would always have need and no one would go without. But that's not true. This church eventually ran out and went without. Paul went around raising money to send where? Back to Jerusalem back to these people. He talked to the Macedonians. He talked to the Corinthians. He was collecting a lot of money so that when he returned to Jerusalem, he'd have enough for the saints that are impoverished. They even ran out of money. Right? So we have this situation that doesn't really look so plastic wrapped anymore. So pure and so golden. Well, I'm here to tell you it is pure. I think so. Because my goal here isn't to tarnish or add rust to what community was back then, but to say that in the sloppiness and in the awkwardness and in the crisis and in the discipline and in the imperfection, we see something very beautiful come about. We see very beautiful, gospel-centered community. And that's what I love. You see, my tendency as a nerd, as a right brain person that likes I like perfect rows. You can ask the people that sit up with out here. I mean, I sit up with these, with these great men that come up and sacrifice their time. And I'm like, yeah, could you like move that over? It's like three inches off. And they're like, serious, bro? I mean, no one could even see this. You know? I'm like, yeah, I know, but please. And so I'll strain gnats to get everything perfect, right? And so my tendency is to scrub all the imperfection out of the church. So if we have a community, let's scrub all the drama out. Let's get all the bleeding out. Let's get all the junk and the sludge out. But if you do that, you get rid of all the people. That's where the people are at. People are full of that. They're dripping with it. I am too. Messed up. So, what can we get from this today? Because if we're not trying to reconstruct this to spec, if we're not trying to make it perfect that way, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for this church? What does it mean for Knoxville? And what on earth does it have to do with the gospel? What on earth does this have to do with the gospel? I'll tell you, the key for us in this passage, the key for me, is that it doesn't just change how we are with each other, the gospel. It changes how we are with the world. You see, the gospel, what we talked about last week, for a long time, we really hammered down on the gospel because we believe it's the beautiful narrative, the beautiful rescue mission of God putting on skin for you because you're cracked and you're broken and there's no remedy that you can apply to yourself to fix yourself or perform yourself out of the pain and the misery and the sin that you're in. So God does it for you, gives us the God-man who substitutes himself on the cross, trading our unrighteousness for his perfect righteousness that we could be adopted, reconciled, redeemed, and atoned for, all at the same time. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. We didn't have to do any of the heavy lifting for it because God did it all. We couldn't come with with a perfect sacrifice, so God supplied one. And that is the gospel, and it changes everything. And it also changes the fact that whenever it alters your identity, it doesn't just make you a new person. It does do that. It takes out your heart of stone, puts in a heart of flesh, But it also puts you in a community. 
it also redefines you within, within a community. This is hard for us because our identity is no longer solo. It's no longer singular, and I like to be singular. I like to be solo because I think I can get it done better by myself than with you. I mean, ultimately, I feel like if you guys don't slow me down, I could really get some stuff done. And so my, my flesh says go solo. But I'm actually corporate now. I'm commingled with you. I'm corporate. That's my identity. When we gather here, we don't gather as just individuals. We gather as members of the same body. Not just disconnected people that are all here at the same time, but we're actually members of the same family. It's more like a reunion than anything. I mean, think about whenever you're born. You have a last name. Why? Why do you have a last name? Because you're, you're part of a family. That's why. I mean, when, when do we stop being identified as part of a family? I mean, my name is Luke, but I have a brother. I've got, I've got parents. I'm associated with a family. If you go to some towns in West Texas, little towns where I grew up, and you were to say my family's last name, they would know who my brother is and who I am. They would know that we're connected. My identity goes along with theirs. It's true for us. When we are born again into God's family, we belong to God and, this is going to push on some of you, we belong to God and we belong to each other. We belong to our brothers and sisters. That's tough. It gets tougher. Our identity is now corporate. Steve Timmis, I pull a lot from this book in this. This book is a really good one. If you want to get it yourself, it's called Total Church by Steve Timmis and, uh, um, what's his name, Tim Chester. And he says this, he says, To fail to live our corporate identity in Christ is analogous to the act of adultery. And when I first read that, I thought, what? You can't just say that. You can't drop the A word. I mean, what do you mean? Well, he's saying because we're separating ourselves from something that we were connected to. We're not just connected to God. To go apostate from God, that's idolatry. We do that all the time. But to go apostate from you. For me to go off and do my own thing is also disconnecting from something that I was connected to. In that term, in that context, it is adultery. He goes on to say this. This is tough. Bear with me, okay? In our experience, people are often enthusiastic about community until it impinges their decision making. For all their rhetoric, they still expect to make decisions by themselves for themselves. We assume that we're masters of our own lives. It's my money. It's my life. It's my future. And therefore, it's my decision. He says, in contrast, in Christ, we expect one another to make decisions with regard to the implications for the church in whole. To make significant decisions in consultation with the church. What? That's a big deal. A married man, he must take into account his wife and his family and consult them over big decisions. It should be the same in the family of God. Boy, this really pushes on me. Listen, I'm the one that puts this together to bring to you. And this pushed on me. You mean I have to consult the church on big decisions? You mean, I, I mean my decisions affect them? It does. It's hard because we like to be independent. And we like our own decisions. I do. I don't want y'all having any effect on it. And we're cool with others not affecting our decisions. We're totally not cool with having to make decisions that might affect other people. We want our decisions to be our decisions and ours alone. We like to inform people. 
of what our decisions are, but not really submit to them for counsel. And when I say submit, I don't say come under a lordship. I'm just saying, hey, can I just ask you what you think about this? I'm not even saying that it has anything to do with a pastor making any decisions. I'm not even saying that a pastor has anything to do with this. Just you with a fellow brother or another sister to say, hey, I'm thinking about making this big decision. What do you think? We're connected. My decisions matter. They affect you. They affect the whole. And let me tell you, over 15 years of doing church stuff, planting and doing churches and go all over, I, I, I get all the time people just coming up and saying, hey, look, Luke, I just want to let you know that we're going to do this. I just want to let you know that we're about this. Or we decided to do this. Or we're going to go ahead and do this. And I'm thinking, man, I really wish you would have just talked to me about that. Don't you see the bear trap you're about to stick your foot in? I mean, that's going to hurt you. That's going to blow your family up. I mean, and so you try to, but it doesn't matter because it's their individual decision. They're an individual. They're secluded from everyone else. And it doesn't matter if their decision affects anybody else. It's very, very, very hard. And listen, I'm preaching to myself. This is hard for me. He goes on to say this. So we make decisions with regard to the effect on the church, and we make big decisions in consultations with the church. We share our lives together as a family. We spend time with one another. We care for one another. We exhort one another with the gospel. Pray with another. Hear this one. And take the initiative to resolve conflict. Ooh, that's a big one. All the time, inviting unbelievers to participate in this common life. In a broken world, we offer a place of belonging. Church family is family. Church family is family. This is tough. But let me tell you what the alternative is. It might be familiar to you. It is for me. You come into a gathering, a lot like this, and that's about it. This is about as communal as it's going to get. We're all individuals. No one even has to know my name. I'm going to float in. I'm going to sit down, camp out, take my notebook out, take good notes. Might get a little work done between me and God, but I'm going to leave, and it's still just me. I'm individual, because I don't even care about anybody else, and that's their own problems. You might even take a risk and get crazy and get in a home group. What? home group, well now they might know about you a little bit more. Now they might grow. And see, that is what we're used to. We're used to being disconnected. That's the alternative. That's what the alternative is. And it looks too painfully familiar with what we see as a whole. Right? So, the gospel, it doesn't just... I mean, this is the phrase that I brought up last week, and I love this phrase. I'm going to get it tattooed on my arm. Not really, I'm too much of a chicken. But if I wasn't a chicken, I would get it tattooed right there. And it says the gospel, it creates, how's it say? No, Christian community is created by the gospel for the gospel. Christian community is created by the gospel, how we enter the community, for the gospel, on the mission of what God is doing. I love that. Because we're not just displaying Christ with each other, by being connected to one another, we're displaying Christ to the whole world who's never seen anything like this. I mean, they've got eyes to see, and a lot of times their ears have already shut down. I mean, whenever I was hearing the gospel all the time as a kid, it was just this, in one ear and out the other, in one ear and out the other. And because I wasn't even seeing it demonstrated, but then when I saw it with my eyes in community, I thought, what is this? I mean... If, if this dude, if I did what this dude just did, I'd be scared to show my face here next week. Right? Because he just like bled all over everybody in the whole group. I'm totally not cool with that. He needs to man up and get his stuff together, you know? That's what I'd think. But he'd show up and he'd be accepted. And for me, that was a gospel demonstration. Not just a proclamation I hear with my ears, but a demonstration I see with my eyes. And we lived in a jacked up world. 
And they've heard the gospel a lot. They need to see it. Community. Community is the loudest megaphone we have. It's a beautiful thing to show them. Because it shows us living in context with each other that is only possible through the gospel. Only possible. This thing called community, it cannot happen. It would totally fail without the gospel. Because some of you are weird. Some of you are jacked up. I'm weird. It doesn't work. You know? Had a hard day at work. You got community group that night. You go. You don't want to, but you know there'll be brownies there and it won't be too long. So you show up and you sit there and then there's that dude. He's just going to start bleeding. He's just drama. Mr. Drama. He's got his name tag on. Mr. Drama. I'm about to let you hear how my week has been. And you know what? I mean, after a long day and a long week, no. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm thinking. No, dude. Just no. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is that Christ tolerates me when I'm drama, when I'm Mr. Drama, and I'm bleeding. There's toleration. He loved me at my worst moment. The most Christ-like thing I can demonstrate is not rolling my eyes when this dude starts to talk to me, which is what I want to do. And I want him to see me roll my eyes. And people tick me off, too. People tick me off. They say stupid things. It's stupid times. Repentance is necessary. Forgiveness is necessary. It's a visual gospel in motion that people can see that this guy didn't have to forgive him, but he did. And this is what it looks like. They're just as good of friends after the offense as they were before the offense. They're able to pick things up communally and be cool with each other. That's how it works. People don't know how to do this, man. I didn't know how to do this. None of you did either. Because we're all used to a defensive posture. Hey, 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 since you did that, I'm going to do this. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not going to change until you change first. That's the mantra. That's what we like to do. It's tough. But our defining purpose is to glorify Christ by not just speaky, but showy. Not just proclaiming, but demonstrating what the gospel is. Because the world needs it. And being on God's mission, it's not a lone activity, it's a communal one. I'm going to talk about that next week, but I might touch it today. You know, I do want to, I guess I will touch it today. Whenever we talk about a a community being on mission, not really talking about evangelism, understand. We're talking about signifying that we are people that worship and glorify God. We want to see more people worship and glorify God. All right? Now that might be safe people, it might be totally lost, jacked up, far from God people, it might be everything in between, but we are really wanting to see more worship come from the different parts of the city. However that looks, from being a lost person to a born-again Christian, from a born-again Christian to one who's totally sold out and done with their fears and done with their insecurities, whatever it looks like, that is God's mission. And it might be in my own household. It might start with me and go to my family and my marriage and then to my neighbors. However it looks, it's just being on God's mission. And sometimes it's going to look like benevolent action, social action. You know, how does that... I was thinking about this. I thought of all the things that we can do as a church, as a community, to really display God and His gospel. Social action's a big one, right? Now, this is what you have to be careful of with social action. We're doing one thing right now, really big, and that's at the laundromat. Handing out quarters and coffee. And it's not cheap to do that. That's a significant cost for us as a church to do that. Now, what it's easy to do is just to do that and hope that they just see the love of God and never proclaim 
right? We're just doing things. We're just hoping that they like us more and that they, maybe they'll ask us. Maybe, maybe nine months will go by and they'll finally ask us why, does it, why we're doing that. And some churches can do that. We can slip up and be that, that church. That's not the way God has called us to do it, though. We're supposed to match our demonstration with proclamation. We're supposed to bring the word with the action. You know, whenever we were in Tampa, the church that planted us here, one of the things I did is I was a coach. Me and the other pastor were a coach. He coached football and I coached track and cross country. So you could go up to this school any afternoon. For six years we did this. We're on opposite sides of the school because those athletes are totally different. And he's coaching these football players and I'm coaching these runners. We did it for free. Didn't take a dime for that. We did it as volunteers, about 20 hours a week of work. And let me tell you, they saw us both up there and they knew that we were pastors and they knew that we weren't in it. There was nothing in it for us except for time away from our family and our work. And we did it. And let me tell you, those students, the fact that we didn't take any money for it, the fact that we didn't profit from that, it was amazing the doors that opened up with them and their parents. It was amazing that the administration would look on me and Pastor Mike and say, these guys are doing this just for the kids. That's crazy. And we were able in that to start proclaiming what they already saw with their eyes being demonstrated. And it brought the gospel to life. We did have a lot of kids come to know the Lord. But let me tell you, it wasn't just because we preached a lot. It's because we demonstrated and preached a lot. It's very, very, very important. Steve Timothy says, Social action without proclamation, it's like a signpost to nowhere. <laughs> I love that. about sums it up. It's a big signpost to nowhere. Mark Driscoll, I like his better because he says... He says, you can hand out ham sandwiches all day, but ham sandwiches don't lead anyone to the Lord. Because <laughs> you've got to match it with the gospel. You have to bring something that actually leads them to new life. Something that has to tell them about the cross, about their sin. It's important. Now, most gospel ministry, hear this, it involves you and me, ordinary people, we're ordinary people. It involves us doing very ordinary things with a very deep gospel intentionality. You going about your normal, doing your normal, with your normal, but with a gospel intentionality. It's very important. Just being intentional with the gospel does a lot of heavy lifting. This same track situation, I was thinking about this this morning. Um, in the track season there would be meets, and it would be like an hour and a half to get from our school to the other schools. Because it's Tampa Bay. There's almost 4 million people in that area. It's just, it's just sprawl, you know. A million stoplights, you know. They outgrew the road system, so it takes a million years to get anywhere. So every week, I'm loading up vans with all these athletes, these hard guys, you know, and we're driving to the track meet. And because we didn't have, you know, it's probably 40 or 50 athletes. We just got vans instead of a bus. And so I wanted all the hard cases with me. I wanted all the mouths with me, you know, in my van. And I could only fit maybe, you know, a dozen in there, I guess. And so whenever we get in, I started this. As soon as we, as soon as we began doing this with vans, I thought, this is, a great, this is a great deal. I'm already making this drive anyway. Ordinary drive, ordinary rhythm, ordinary routine, gospel intentionality. So I told them, listen, I'm going to give you a choice. You can either listen to me ask you about all the deep secrets of your life, and talk about that, and we can share with each other in the van, or you can listen to the radio. Your choice, which one? Well, they all said radio, right? They don't want to talk to me about that stuff. And I knew that, I knew that's how it was going to go. I said, okay, well, we're going to listen to the radio. What station do you guys want to listen to? Okay, fill in the blank, right? 
bad station. Bad station was just junk on it. And so we're listening to this station. And I said, now listen, this is how it's going to go. Every time I hear a cuss word, something that was bleeped out and was a cuss word, someone having sex with someone that isn't their wife or someone bumping and grinding, I get to turn it down and I get to preach for three minutes on whatever that was just said on the radio. And so they just hesitantly shook their head yes. See, I was in power of authority. I had that going for me, right? Because I'm a coach. So we're sitting in there, and man, it's just a matter of time. You're not even going to make it through three songs. You're not going to make it through two songs. And so it goes on there, and you could see their eyes. They would, I would look in the rearview mirror, and something was just said, and they would all kind of do this and look at each other, wondering if I heard it or not, right? So every time I saw the look on their face, I just pretended I did hear something. And turn it down, and start preaching, Right? That's how it would work. And then sometimes, then they got real smart. And they started getting real chatty with me. Hey, hey, uh, Coach Luke. Um, hey, I was wondering about this track thing. And I'm thinking, what are they doing? And I'd listen. They're trying to over-talk the stereo so that I wouldn't hear anything. I'd be so busy coaching them that I wouldn't hear whatever F-bomb or whatever. So I'd turn it down and start preaching. And it got to be to where it was fun for them to listen to it. And then they'd start interacting. And then it got to where we weren't even using the radio at all. And then it got to where instead of trying to escape that van, they started lining up and fighting over being in that van because of the gospel intentionality. Because they were hearing words that were ministering to their soul that didn't sound like their dad or their old youth pastor or real whatever. I don't know what they were used to, but for some reason that clicked for them. Some of those kids, some of those kids got radically born again. Some of them are preaching the gospel right now. Right now. Normal routine. I didn't go out of my way. I didn't get on a plane and go to Peru. I didn't hand out a track. I didn't do any of that. It's just normal gospel intentionality. It's very important that we get that. You have rhythms every day. Some of you are doing the same thing every day. If you're like me, you are. I've got routines. I've got rhythms. How intentional are you with the gospel? How intentional are you right now? Are you doing something alone? Or are you doing it in community? Now listen, now I'm, now I'm adding something to it. Whenever you do your common routines, are you doing it alone? Or are you doing it in community? I mean, do you go to the gym? Are you doing it alone? Or are you doing it with other people? There's a reason I'm about to, I'm about to bring to you why I'm asking these questions. When you... I don't know, go to the movies, watch TV, watch a game. Are you doing it alone or are you doing it in community? When you go to eat, are you, please tell me you're not eating alone. Please listen. If you're eating alone, stop. Cease and desist. Someone will always say yes. I'm always calling people, hey, what are you doing right now? You know, you want to go get something to eat? I always get a yes eventually. It might take seven or eight phone calls. I always get someone that will want to eat with me. It's easy to eat with people. People want to eat with you. Normal routines. Are you doing them with other people? With brothers and sisters in the Lord? Are you doing with people very far from God? People that you're leading towards the cross? It's important. The only thing better than gospel intentionality is when it's done in community. The only thing better than gospel intentionality is being gospel intentional in community. It's the only thing better. Because people see your interaction... When people see me with my wife, or me with Kevin, or me with Matt, you know, I don't have very much in common with Matt at all, but I love him. I love him. And now people are going, people are going to be around me and Matt a little while, and they're going to notice that me and Matt aren't very much alike. They're going to notice that. He's brilliant. I'm not. He went to a better school than I did. You know, he's, he's just got his stuff together. I'm still getting there. And so me and Matt are, are different. But now, but listen, people are going to see that we love each other as if we were really best friends. And it's going to be a gospel display that you can actually be that good of friends with someone that has nothing to do with you. Now, 
Now when me and Matt go throw the frisbee, play disc golf, or go to the gym, or do whatever, whatever we do when we're talking to people about Christ, one of us, both of us, they see the demonstration to what we're preaching. And think about that. Whenever I came to really, 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 really know the Lord, whenever that born-again moment happened in my life, I was watching a community do it before I even said yes to Jesus. Before Jesus rescued me and I stepped into that life as a Christian, I had been watching it in community. I stepped into a community. I've never understood Christianity outside of community because of that. That's how important it is to be not just on mission with God, but done so in community. Or else we're just individuals out there spraying the Word of God without any ability to demonstrate it with our actions and our connections. That's how important it is. So, I'm going to be done in just a minute, I promise. But you've heard me and Kevin talk, and I will finish with this. You've heard me and Kevin talk pretty regularly now, increasing in our volume on what these missional communities are going to look like that we're starting here. We're starting these. We've waited for a while because we were in a house and we were a gospel community. We were a smaller group. We're not anymore. So as you've heard us talk about it a little bit, we're getting more and more excited. But let me tell you something else. We're getting more and more determined that it is the sloppiest way, the most awkward way, and the slowest way to grow a church. It is. It's the slowest, bar none. There's no slower way to grow a church than what we were thinking about doing. It's the riskiest way. We're risking everything and doing it this way. Why are we doing that? Because Knoxville is good in a lot of things. Some things it has to offer the country, the country really needs. Knoxville really is top shelf in some very, very key things. It stinks in community. It's bad in community. It doesn't understand it. It understands relationship well. It understands hospitality well. It's very nice. But if there is a pocket that you've grown up with, it's very difficult to get in sometimes. I've had it spoken to me. This isn't just from my perception. I've heard it from locals. I've seen it with locals. It's very difficult for them to understand community unless you've grown up with them your whole life. If you've not grown up with them your whole life, it's difficult to step into something brand new. I've talked to them saying, Luke, I'd love to be a part of something like that, but it's difficult for me to get in and start all over. I just, I just don't know. The only way they're able to really talk and be open is if it's someone that they've known since they were like two. Well, that's not community. That's just you've done 30-something years with this person, 20-something years with this person. Can you do it with two years? Can you do it with nine months? Can you do it with a purpose? Can you do it and be on mission? Gospel need, Knoxville needs to be led on how intentional it can be with each other and with the gospel. It's something that it needs to excel in. This is the only way we can do it. This is it. We didn't come here to do another service. Knoxville has a ton of services right now. Services everywhere. You guys could have gone anywhere this morning. You could have, someone could have put like a shot glass worth of fuel in your tank and said, go find a church before your gas runs out and you would have found one. You would have found one. You could have driven in any direction. Churches, services, campuses, church plants, everywhere. Communities, a little harder to come by. Deep cultures, a little harder to come by. It's important. I'm running into people more and more here that are crying out for a very sloppy, gritty, awkward, but intentional community. Usually people that they see something very intrusive. It's intrusive. I have people confront me. That's intrusive. 
I have people speak things to me. That's intrusive. And part of me says, I hate this, but I love it. I, I, ah, but I need it. And that's what they say, and they agree. I've never known anything like that. All I've ever known is just you kind of come in, you show up, and you leave. So, some people in Knoxville have never been challenged by anyone other than a boss. And friends, friends are good. They could be kind of wimpy sometimes with their advice. I have them. I have friends. that They, they love me, but they're not really going to say the hard, hard, hard thing because they, they're afraid it's going to hurt my feelings. Right? We need something. We need something different. And when we look at Acts 2.42, and we see the innocence and the pureness and the goldenness of it, and we think, I'm not there. I'm here to tell you that just because something looks pure, just because something looks perfect, it doesn't mean that it really is, and it doesn't even mean that that's the goal. For me, Acts 2.42 is a good description of what's going on, but keep reading the story. There is going to be sloppiness. There is going to be grit. There is going to be an awkward. I was telling Jeremy this week, I said, Christians are people of the awkward silence. We are born and live in the awkward silence. That's how it is. Some of you, this is very difficult. And I get that. It's difficult for me too. We have to tread the path of community though. We had this in the house. We're losing it here in this gym. If we were just to stay here and not change course at all, not course correct at all, we don't become what we came to do at all. So, I mean, we have a few remaining vestiges of people getting together and clutting together and doing community. And some of you guys are very, very, you know, dedicated to it. Some of you pay a really deep price. Some of you are driving like an hour to get here. Let me just say thank you for that. Thank you for driving. My goodness, an hour? That's a sacrifice. You're doing something bigger than yourself to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Thank you for that. If you're like me, and this can be hard to get your arms around, you know, people tick you off, some people bore you to death, you go to great lengths to avoid them, you're in my club, that's what I do. How about this, you've never been offended and done the hard work of going to that person and working it out? Ugh, who wants to do that? Not me. Uh-uh. someone offends me, I'm just going to blow it off. Just won't hang out with them anymore, you know? I'm not actually going to go and talk to them about it. Who does that? It's weird people do that. But the deal is, is I'm passive-aggressive, and that's why I'm not doing it. You know. So, I love the fact, as I finish with this, I promise I am finished now. God's plan, it could have been anything. It's a family, but it didn't have to be. It could have been, we were born into being individuals. You could have been born into a business model. You could have been born again into a pyramid scheme. It could be anything. But He chose a family. A body, he even says, where he is the head. I don't know if any of y'all have ever taken anatomy, right? I have. I've, dis- I've dissected cadavers, actually, real people. It, now, when you start cutting into something, anything, you can't tell where one part starts and another one ends. It all just kind of it goes together. The t- sinews, the tendons, the whatever. It just, you can't tell the difference. Even without cutting, you look at your arm, you don't know where one part starts and the other ends. It's imperfect. It's just gritty. It's connected. God called us to be that. That's what we're born again into. As difficult as it is, that's what we're called to be into. So, yes, the gospel, it changes us internally, but it changes us socially as well. Yes, the gospel, it changes our heart, but it changes our proximity as well. It changes our proximity as well. 
This is the beautiful gospel demonstration for us, okay? Hey, Kevin, you want to come back up? This is the gospel demonstration for us. And so now as, as we're finished, and we are, we are finished, 